good morning. How's everybody doing? It's good to be with you guys today. If we haven't met, my name is Jason. I serve as the campus pastor at Rock Church San Marcos. Shout out to San Marcos. I love you guys. What's up, family? I miss you. Some of you got here late today and you're confused because I look taller, but I'm not there. I'm actually in Point Loma, but I love you guys. I'll see you soon. Um, it's good to be here, though, in Point Loma. I was here a couple months ago. Uh, how many of you were with us for that 4 by 7 preach-off thing that we did? That was... A couple of you guys are here. Uh, let's show a video there. Uh, this is um, the, the guy's looking really excited that I was preaching is what it looks like to me. Um, here's the deal. We had four campus pastors. We were given seven minutes to preach. Pastor Miles was cheering us on. He was coaching us on. It was just a, a, an amazing day. It was really great to be a part of it. But the one question I got asked more than any other was, you know, with this preach off, like who won, right? <laughs> who got the, the, the title, right? And honestly, it doesn't really matter. But I will say that I'm the first one that got invited back. So I'm just going to leave that right there. You guys decide. Uh, in all seriousness, we have some incredibly gifted men and women of God who are leading this church, leading our campuses. Uh, I want to give a shout out to, to them. Pastor Travis at San Ysidro. Love your brother. Pastor Greg at East County. Uh, Pastor Micah at City Heights. You got to get that mid-city dip going when you say it. Uh, he's been, I've been practicing, he's been teaching me a little bit there. Uh, Pastor Marcus here at Point Loma, and uh, we love Pastor Marcus. Also, our online campus, Pastor Mike, Digital Mike is online with us. And then the lady of the bunch, Pastor Esley, she oversees our microsite campus. Can we give it up to all of our campus pastors and campuses? We love you guys. Of course, it, leadership, it starts at the top. And uh, this church, make no mistake, belongs to Jesus. He's the head of this church. But I think that we can all agree that we are so thankful to God for the man he's given us, the founder and senior pastor of this church, Pastor Miles McPherson. Can we just say thank you to God for him? I want you to hear it from my lips to your ears that as I've gotten to know our pastor, as he's poured into my life and helped me to grow as a pastor, leader, uh, as I've seen him interact as a husband and father, I want you to know that he's the same off stage as he is on stage. That he is a man full of integrity, full of passion for God and his people. And I know oftentimes when we have guest uh, pastors come here and give the word, they do a great job of honoring our pastor. But I think we as the, the members of Rock Church, those of us that call this home, we should be the ones cheering the loudest. So I'm going to ask all of us, all of our campus, can you get to your feet with me right now? I want to just give honor to our, our senior pastor of the Father's House. Can we just thank God for him again one more time? Thank you, Lord. Yes. 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 We love you, Pastor. We miss you. And uh, while we're standing, let's just stay standing here for a moment. I want to pray for our time together. God, we are so thankful. Uh, that we have breath in our lungs. We thank you for this opportunity you've gathered us together to hear from you, Lord, as we open up your word. Lord, we know you're speaking, so help us to hear, help us to allow it to penetrate our hearts and minds. God, we desire that we would leave here different than when we came. Lord, we thank you that you invite us to come as we are. Lord, we thank you that you invite us in, and we pray, God, that you'd help us with our belief. Lord, we trust you with our unbelief. And it's in Jesus' mighty and matchless name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Grab a seat. Grab a seat real quick. Uh, I did want to give you a little more information about me, introduce myself to those of you I don't know well. Uh, I have a, an amazing, incredible woman of God as a wife. Her name is Carissa. Uh, we have uh, just celebrated five years of marriage in July. Thank you. Yes. 
as those of you who've been married for a long time knows that we, we now officially know nothing at five years, right? We're just, we're figuring it out. God has blessed us with two incredible uh, children, two daughters. Our oldest is Parker, Parker June. She will be turning three in a couple weeks. Fun fact, she shares her birthday with her mother, which is a pretty cool little thing. Uh, and our youngest is little Brooklyn, Brooklyn Bernadette or BB. She turned nine months today. Nine months today, yes. We celebrate months in our household, yes. I was like many of you that don't have kids before. I was like, why do we talk about months and how old they are? It's just a thing that parents do when they're little. I don't know why either, but I do it as well. But um, that was the Photoshop picture of us when Brooklyn was born. But here's a more recent picture of us. This was at the zoo a week ago, right? So our oldest, Parker, she just crossed a milestone, right? She is now potty trained. Can I get a hallelujah? Praise the Lord. Come on, somebody. That is good news in our house. Less diapers, I am a very happy man. And so we asked her, how do you want to celebrate? And she said, Dada, I want to go to the zoo. She loves animals, has since she's a little one. And so we said, of course, let's go to the zoo. Now, if I told you, based on this picture alone, that she was really excited, that she believed that was the best place for her to be, would you believe me? No, she's like, I don't know what I'm doing here. Who's this person taking our picture? Like, what's going on? I'm going to show you another picture. This proves that she did, in fact, have a good time at the zoo. This is her. She wanted her face painted. She said, listen, Dad, this is one thing I want. This is Polar Bear Parker, right? And it got me thinking, that, that previous photo, about the, if we just take a, a look, that snapshot, that moment in time, it's so easy to misjudge, right? I knew deep down inside she was so excited. She believed that was the best thing that she could be doing with her time. But yet on the surface, it didn't look that way. And so that begs the question for us today is, is how do we know what we actually believe? Right? We could say a lot of things, we can think a lot of things, but how do we know that we actually believe? And what is it that we truly believe? If you've got your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn to the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 9. And as you're flipping there, I just want to remind us, and I'm excited because today's Communion Sunday. We're going to be celebrating that here in a little bit together. So important that as followers of Christ, we, we partake in the breaking of the bread. And we're going to pick up this story here, Mark chapter 9, verse 14. What's recently happened is Jesus has gone up on top of a mountaintop. He went up there with his three closest disciples and friends, Peter, James, and John. And on the top of the mountain, he was transfigured, right? Some of his glory was revealed. He's, he he'd appeared with Moses and Elijah and a, a voice from heaven cried out, this is my son, right? So the, the disciples are blown away. Like, this is incredible. You are who you say you are. And so they're coming down from the mountain with this going on in their minds, right? This mountaintop experience. And then they come upon this scene where the remaining nine disciples are sitting there having this argument with the, this crowd, these scribes, these religious leaders. That's where we're going to pick it up. It says in verse 14, Mark chapter 9, and when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And Jesus, he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? 17 says that in someone, someone in the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. And Jesus says in verse 19, oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy and he fell on the ground. He rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. In verse 22, it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. 
And immediately, verse 24, immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. So it's an incredible story of this interaction between this father and Jesus. And he's got his son who's been afflicted since he's a young boy. And it starts to beg the question of belief and unbelief. And what does that look like? And if we just toss around the word belief, it's easy to, right? I mean, we, we could just say, well, that's just like mental assent or acknowledgement of things to be true. Right? You could say a lot of things that you believe, right? I, I, like you could say, I believe that the Chargers are going to win the Super Bowl this year. <laughs> Clearly, some of you disagree with my belief, Right? Right, you could say the Raiders, any team, right? It, but it really doesn't matter ultimately. There's no like consequence. It's an insignificant statement. It doesn't really bear much in, in terms of the, 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 the outcome of your life, right? Or you could also say something like, I believe that cats are better than dogs. Now you'd be wrong, but you could say that, okay? <laughs> my real quick 30 seconds on cats and dogs, right? If we're talking about a pet, okay? On one hand, you have a dog who, when you come home, is wagging its tail so excited, right? He's running around in circles, like drooling on himself. He's barking. He's like, I'm so happy you're home. And then on the other hand, you have a cat. And you open the door. You don't see your cat. You look around the room, and, and up on the bookshelf there, you look up, and there's your cat. And he's sort of like, oh, it's you. Right? Like, I don't know. It seems like a pretty obvious choice to me. But, but before... Before I get too much hate mail from the cat lovers in the audience, let me just say that God loves your dogs and loves your cats equally. He made them all. Praise the Lord. You can just pray for me. All right. Part of my problem, I, I've been reading out of the wrong version, right? You've heard of the uh, NIV and the, and the New King James. I, James, I have the DLV, which is the dog lovers version. So I apologize. This is, this is how I've been afflicted, right? But see, these kind of statements, whether you like chocolate or vanilla, they ultimately don't have really significant impact. But if we look at Scripture, if we look at what the Bible says about belief and faith, right, these, these words are used synonymously, right, we, as we start to dig a little bit deeper, it, it turns out that, that everything depends on belief. Right? I mean, certainly for this father of this young boy, right? I mean, nothing less than his deliverance and his healing is at stake when it comes to this conversation about belief. Right, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 says that for by grace you have been saved through faith. Right, Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you would be saved. For in our heart we, we confess and we're, we're sanctified and with our mouth we confess and we are saved. It says that scripture tells us that no one who believes will be put to shame. According to the Bible, belief matters significantly. Everything depends upon belief. But how do we understand? How do we get our heads wrapped around? What do we actually believe? And there's an author I came across that's really helped me kind of challenge, but also helped me in this conversation and hopefully will help us all. Uh, credit where it's due, Dr. Tim Mackey uh, showed this to me, uh, and his name is Michael Novak. He's a, he's a philosopher, a political philosopher, which means most of what he writes, I don't understand, right? But he wrote this book called Belief and Unbelief. And in it, he described that there's three levels of belief that we all operate out of. There's your public belief, your private belief, and then your personal belief. So there's your public, your private, and your personal. So public belief, that's what you say you believe, right? Out of the words of your mouth, this is what you proclaim to the world, this is what I believe, right? Because you wanna tell the world all the things that you want them to think about you. 
right? We, we, we're, our, we're our own best PR agents. We like to manage people's perception of us. This is, this is kind of like our social media level of belief, if you're with me. Right, you know, when you take a picture, you know, you're like, um, this angle, this angle, right? I mean, let's, here, moment of transparency. How many of you, show of hands, know what your good side is? I don't believe, uh, come on, seriously, I, I don't believe you guys. Like half of you guys, really? We're in church, come on, right? You're at, a, you're at a restaurant, you're having dinner with friends, you're like, oh, we should capture the moment. You give the waiter or the waitress your phone, they take the picture, a couple of them. You get your phone back and you're like, uh, could, you, could you do it again? Right, like we want to put out there to the world what we want them to think about us. We want to manage that. And so we can't rely on what we say we believe because it's, oftentimes it's just bogus. We just like to say things so that people think better of us. Right, so as we start to dig a little bit deeper, and Michael Novak says that there's a private level belief, right? That's, that's what you actually think you believe. Right, that's like what you tell yourself you believe. For example, you, you could say that it's good to be generous. I believe that. Right? It's a very noble thing that you should sacrificially give to somebody else. That when they're in need or they're in trouble, I should give them my time, my, my energy, my resources. That it's a good thing to think of others before myself. Or you could think that about yourself. You see, inevitably with all of these beliefs, there will come a time when circumstances will present themselves where your belief will be tested. And you'll find yourself in that crucible of testing. And you'll realize in that moment that what actually determines how you actually know what you believe is that your actions will tell you. Your actions are going to reveal to you what you believe. So you could find yourself in a moment where that belief of generosity is put to the test, and if you look at your actions and your behavior, what you start to realize is that you don't actually believe that being generous is good. In fact, if, if you really examine your actions, what you believe in that moment is that I'm the most important person on the planet, and that all my resources and time and energy, I'm going to spend them first on me, and that if there's anything left over, then I can give it away. Right? You see, if we really want to know what we believe, we just have to study our lives. Right? We can't believe what we say because it's bogus. We can't believe what we think because often it's unreliable. We so often like to think of ourselves so much better than we actually are. And so there's this third level of belief that Novak reveals to us. He says there's your public, which you say. There's your private, what you think. And then there's your core, your personal belief. That's your actually what you believe. That's your default mode. That's how you operate out of it. No matter what circumstance you find yourself in, this is what comes out. Right? And, and so the, the challenge for us is that so often in life, as we think about these levels, is that we're operating with gaps. There's gaps between what we say and what we think and what we actually believe. And the goal is that we want to be aligned. We want our public, our private, and our personal beliefs to all be in line. That what we say and what we think and what we actually believe and do are one and the same. That's the goal. That's what we're shooting for. And you might ask, well, what does that look like? Well, I would say that looks like Jesus. You see, because everything he said he believed, everything he thought about himself was true to his core. And he acted in a way that was consistent always. He was full of integrity in all ways. And when we operate that way, when we're in line in all three levels, we are our truest selves. We have inner peace. There's consistency within who we are. There's, there's no back and forth and vacillating between what you're saying and what you're thinking. And that's the challenge. That's the goal where we're trying to get to. And to, to help kind of for you to, to frame this a little bit, I want to share just a, a brief story with you. Um, some of you have been not paying attention to what I've said because you've been staring at this awesome car behind me the whole time. I understand. Well, I just want to introduce you to, um, well, what I like to call a real pastor's car. 
okay? Um, no offense to Pastor Ricky, I don't know if you were here a few months ago, he brought this really nice muscle car up on stage, right? It was all primed and beautiful, and he said it wasn't his, but this is in fact my car, okay? This is a 2009 Hyundai Sonata, wait for it, limited. That's right, that's right. I didn't spare any expense. I didn't want a single disc player. Give me that five disc player, right? Here's a couple things I love about that car. It's paid for. Praise the Lord. Come on. Two, when I turn the key in the ignition, it turns on. When I press on the gas, it goes. And when I touch the other pedal to the left, the brake, it stops. I love that car. And because I knew you guys were all going to see it, I had it washed a couple days ago just for you guys. And my wife, who told me if I didn't, she'd be really mad at me, right? But the, the funny thing about it is I got it washed, and then as I pulled out of the wash, I'm, it still looks dirty, <laughs> right? I just had it for a long time. So I'm in my R group, my last R group, a couple years ago, um, and, and we started, and right at the beginning of this, and over the, last, over the couple of years we were together, my friend Alex started to say things like, you know, I'm a really angry driver, Right, he was a self-professed angry driver, right? He didn't like being on the road. He was mad at everybody. He hated commuting. It ruined his day. It affected his marriage. Like, he was really angry. And, and I could relate because I was someone who felt like I'd been delivered from that, right? Before I knew Jesus, I was kind of in Alex's shoes, too, right? I, I didn't like people on the road. In fact, I had this theory. I used to tell people that I wished I could have one of those snow plows in the front of my car, right? So when someone did something that was clearly not okay, I could just drive them off the road because that's ultimately what they deserved, Right? The old has gone, the new has come. Praise the Lord, right? And so I was excited because I, I said to Alex, it's not good to be an angry driver, right? And in, internally, I thought that too. I believe that to be true. And so we're having many conversations and finally, I, you know, I felt like I got through to him and I said, listen, the worst part about being so angry when something happens on the road is that you become a slave to the other person. And he was like, what? wait, what are we talking about? Like some of you are looking at me right now. I said, think about it, you, you've handed over emotional control to someone you don't even know, right? You get so upset, you're so frustrated, it ruins your day, you get to work, you're spewing, spewing all that negativity on your coworkers, now their day's affected, right? Some days you, you don't even, it doesn't even, you can't even get out of it until you get home and then your wife has to hear about it. And I said, and the worst part is the other person, the other driver, doesn't even know they have control over you like that, right? I think some of you just got set free, praise the Lord, right? <laughs> And so I said this to Alex, and I'm like, and I, and, I, and I started seeing the wheels turning a little bit. I'm like, I think I finally got through to him. And he says, you know what, Jason, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work on this. You're right. I, I feel like this is something I really got to turn over to the Lord. I'm like, yes. Fast forward a couple days later. I'm behind the wheel of my car. My beautiful wife, Carissa, is with me. We're driving on a, on a three, lane, uh, three, three lanes of traffic, right? And one of the lanes is going to end. Right, it's gonna merge over, so there's a lot of traffic that day, so the two lanes that are gonna keep going, it's backed up, and so I'm just kinda of waiting my turn. And we're getting right to the point where the road ends and the median's right there. And I look to my right rear view mirror and I see there's a car coming pretty fast. And I'm thinking, I don't know if they've never been down this road before, but what they're thinking or what they're doing. And they came over so fast, they literally had to swerve over, slam on the brakes so they wouldn't hit the median. And as a result, I had to slam on the brakes in order to not hit their car. And as soon as I slammed on the brakes, I, I smacked my driver's wheel and I said, you idiot, what's wrong with you? There's a silence in my car. And I looked over at my wife. And fellas, you'll appreciate this. She gave me the look like, really? And here's the point of the story. She said, weren't you just the other day telling Alex how bad it is to be an angry driver 
What am I going to say in that moment? Like, thank you, Lord, for a wife who tells the truth? No, like, no, that's not what I want to say. I mean, yes, but no. I was like, oh, Lord, I don't, just take me away anywhere but here. Like, rapture me up, something. I just don't want to be in this moment. I was busted, right? My public belief, my private belief were one place, and my true belief came out. I was in that, that crucible. I was in that moment of testing. And what I realized in that moment, that my real belief was that I was more important than that person, that they didn't deserve the benefit of my doubt, they didn't deserve grace and mercy and forgiveness, that I was more important than them. That's what ultimately I believed. I wasn't speaking life and blessings. I was speaking death and cursing on them. Now I'm continuing to be a work in progress. I figured this would be a good opportunity to get a lot of accountability. So you thousands of people watching this message, this is the car I drive. So if you see me on the road, don't do one of these, by the way. Like, that won't help. But maybe like, hey, I see you, Pastor, right? Why do I share that with you? Because... Every one of us, more than one time in our life, we've been behind that proverbial wheel. Where what we've told the world we believe, what we've actually believed about ourselves, it gets put to the test and it gets exposed and revealed. And in fact, it's not very pretty. So what are we to do? How are we to get our beliefs aligned? How are we to come to to God and say, Lord, help. Help me with my unbelief. I think this conversation with this father is really insightful. It's going to give us some, some, some tips on how we can do that. In verse 21, Jesus asks the father, he says, how long has this been happening to him? Now, remember, there's no wasted words from Jesus. He already knows the answer, right? So it's important when you see things that it's there for a reason in scripture. And and the father says, from childhood. And in verse 22, he says, it often casts him into fire and into water to destroy him. And, And here, let's pay attention. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. If you can do anything, Jesus, is what the father says to him. This is really interesting. Right, here's the public belief of this guy on display right now. Right, he's not trying to pull any punches. He's not trying to be like, Jesus, you're awesome. I think you're amazing. I think you can do anything. That's not what he says. Right, how many of us, we, we, we say that when we're here on Sundays, when we're in one of our campuses, we're saying, Jesus is awesome. I mean, it's easy to say that here, right? But the, but the father doesn't even do that. He says, if you can do anything, Here's what he's really saying. He's saying, Jesus, my faith, my belief right now, it's a little shaky. I'm not so sure. I brought my son to you. I was hoping, believing that you could heal him. I brought him to your disciples and they couldn't do anything. So right now, I'm not so sure. Just a real quick side note. I wonder how many of us as followers of Jesus who were called to represent God and reflect Jesus to the world, I wonder how many times someone has come to us expecting to encounter Jesus and has walked away with their faith shaken. Something to consider. And so he says to Jesus, as honestly as he can, full of integrity, he's like, I'm not so sure. Could you do anything? And if you could, could you have compassion on us? He appeals to Jesus' love. And I love Jesus' response. He's so full of grace and truth. In verse 23, and Jesus said to him, if you can, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Let's break this down. What is Jesus actually saying to him? He's saying, listen, I just want to make sure we're clear here and understand everything. This has nothing to do with my divine power or my divine love for you. That's not what this is about. Right? If you can, right? he says, of course I can. And he turns it right back to the Father and says, all things are possible. Anything that you could ask of me, it's possible for one who believes. 
I don't know about you, but at, at times in my life, I've questioned that. I've questioned that love that God has for me. I've questioned that power that he has. He can actually do the things he's promised to do. And so if you're like me, if you ever struggle with that, I just want to give you two things that point so, so unmistakably to those two things. If you ever question God's love for you, I present to you the cross. The Bible says that the penalty of sin is death. And that penalty has to be paid for every bad choice you've made, every evil thought, every bad action you've done. And before you even knew him, Jesus said, listen, I'm going to pay the penalty for you. I've never sinned before, but I'm going to do what it is that I have to do for you because I love you that much. He cried out to the father in the garden the night he was betrayed and said, is there any other way? And the father said, no. He says, okay, I'll do it. That's how much I love you. He went through unimaginable torment and pain, ridicule, rejection, so that we could be forgiven, so that our sins would be wiped clean that we could have a relationship with God again. You see, the greatest love letter you could ever hope to receive, it'll never come in an envelope. It's coming in the shape of a cross. And it cries out for all of eternity and says, I love you, don't you ever forget how much I love you. Now, if you, if you question to God's power, then I present to you the empty tomb. Jesus told his disciples over and over and over again, I'm gonna be betrayed, I'm gonna be killed, but don't worry, I'm gonna rise again. He told them so many times they never could quite get it because it was just so crazy to think that. And on the third day, he rose again. Jesus looked death straight in the face and said, you will not defeat me. He willingly surrendered his life. He was not a helpless victim. He willingly surrendered his life because he knew that that was how he was going to conquer sickness, disease, and death. And if he can conquer death, there isn't anything in your life that he can't conquer. And so he's saying to the father, listen, it's never about my love for you. It's never about my power. Let's talk about your belief right now. If you can have enough belief, watch what can happen. And, and, and the father, he's so full of integrity. He's not trying to pull any punches. He's not trying to hide behind anything. He says in verse 24, notice the first word it says, immediately, without hesitation, immediately he cries out. He says, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe, help my unbelief. Here's what he's saying. Jesus I don't know how much I got. I mean, it's, a, it's not very much probably, right? Because I'm not so sure anymore. But here's what, I'm gonna give you my unbelief, can you, or my belief, can you help me with the unbelief? Can you help me with all the things I'm not sure about? And what we see is we're revealed that the Father, what he's saying to you is publicly, privately, and personally, all three levels are lined up for him. He's like, I'm not so sure. But he does what all of us must do in these moments is he trusts and he comes to Jesus and says, I'm going to trust you not just with my belief, but I'm going to trust you with my unbelief as well. And what does Jesus do in that moment? He says, watch me work. He says, you give me that little bit of belief and you watch what I can do with that unbelief. Amen. And here's the, here's the crazy thing about all this. Notice that before this conversation even happened, he called the boy to himself. You see, Jesus had already made up in his mind that he was going to heal the boy, right? We don't ever see in scripture where someone, Jesus says, bring them to me, and then he doesn't heal, or he doesn't bring deliverance, or doesn't bless them, right? And so he says, bring the boy to me. Okay, now that that's established, let's have a conversation. Let's talk about where you're at right now. And the fact is, if you're listening to this, if you're hearing my voice right now, I know that you have at least this much. That's why you're here. I'm not sure where you're at on your journey. That guy's got a little bit more than that, I think. <laughs> you've got about this much, perhaps. Maybe you've never trusted in Jesus. 
because you've been wrestling with this belief, this unbelief thing, and you're like, I, I can't quite muster up more than this. And so I couldn't possibly come to Jesus because I've got all this unbelief right now. And I don't know what he would do with it. But the crazy thing is that Jesus knows you've got this much. He knows you've got this much unbelief. He tells us in Romans 10, chapter 17, that where does faith come from? Where does belief come from? It comes from hearing and hearing the word of Christ. You see, the only way that we can hope to increase our unbelief is that we have to come to the word. We have to follow Jesus. We have to come to him. We have to study this. We have to preach this to ourselves. We have to get in groups. We have to be in, in, in lives with each other. We have to serve. We have to give of our time and energy. We have to come and sing praise songs to him. We have to pray. We have to say, Lord, here's my unbelief. Can you do anything with it? And just like with the father, he's going to say, if you can give me this much, watch me work. Watch what I can do with the rest. That's the same invitation he has for each and every one of us. And so in a moment, I'm going to pray and I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond with whatever little bit of, of belief and faith you have. And I'm going to invite you that just like the Father, that you would just for once, maybe just for the first time in your life perhaps, just to be honest and say, God, this is about all I got right now. But I'm willing to trust you with the rest. I'm willing to trust you with that unbelief I've got in my life. Since there's three levels of belief, I want to give us three quick challenges that we can do this week. The first one, when it comes to your public belief, Right? What you tell the world, here's what I want you to do. This week, if you're on social media, I don't want any postings of edited or cropped photos. Okay? I only want like real stuff. Right? Just a real picture, like an average, everyday, boring. You're probably not going to get a, likes, a lot of likes on it. Right? That's the kind of picture I want you to post this week. And I want you to hashtag it with help my unbelief. All right? I posted one this morning. If you want to get an example, I posted one this morning of me brushing my teeth at 4.15 in the morning when I woke up today. It was not glamorous, let me tell you. Okay? But I want to encourage you to do that and stop putting out to the world what you want them to think about you and just put out there who you really are. And just see what happens in your heart this week. The second level of belief, that private belief, what we think we believe, what we tell ourselves. Our pastor has written an incredible book called The Third Option on Racial Unity and Reconciliation. On September 15th, we're going to have a simulcast here in this building. And I know when you hear that term racism, many of you, in your mind, you're thinking, I'm on either one of two ends. I'm either a racist or I'm not a racist. If I'm on this end, I'm not a racist, then I'm good. I don't need to worry about this because this is kind of uncomfortable. But let me encourage you that as I've been sort of preacher and teacher for a moment, I'm just going to step into pastor for a moment and, and tell you this. You're not as good as you think you are. I wasn't as good as I thought I was before I read the book. Does that make me a racist? No. But does it mean that I have biases? Areas of my life that I need to work on? Yes. Just like every one of us. And if we're following Jesus, we have to be willing to get better. We have to be willing to get better. God has anointed our pastor with something that will, I've, I believe, literally change the way the nation talks about this topic. And so if you, if you don't have plans to be here on September 15th, change your plans. Be here for that simulcast. There's information in your bulletins. You can't miss it. Get the book. Read the book. You will be challenged in ways that you will not expect, just like I was. But you have an opportunity to change that private belief of what you actually think about yourself. And of course, finally, there's our personal belief, what we actually believe. And I want to encourage you this morning, as the father of that young boy did, that the only hope you have of taking whatever bit of belief you have and increasing it, you have to come to Jesus. And whether it's the first time for you where you're saying yes to him, you're finally willing to say, I'm not going to wait till the scales tip where I have more belief than unbelief. I'm just going to take what little bit I got and I'm going to take a step of faith. 
Or perhaps you've been following Jesus your whole life for decades. And you've been growing in faith. You've been growing in belief. But there's still that area or areas of your life where you haven't fully trusted. There's still a lot of doubt. There's still a lot of unbelief. Maybe relationship, financially, your career. Something you're struggling with personally that no one knows besides God. Wherever you fall on this, I'm going to invite you in a moment to pray with me and to surrender that little bit of belief that you have. And just watch what God wants to do. Just watch him work. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes in all of our campuses. God, once again, we say thank you for loving us. We can't say it enough. Thank you for this profound conversation that you had with this father about how you view our belief and our unbelief. Your love is so big and so great. You're not waiting for us to figure it all out. You're just saying, come, trust me with what you got. We're believing, Lord, that you're the only one that can take that little bit of unbelief or that little bit of belief and turn it into a mountain of belief. And so this morning, if you're ready to say yes, to, to give what little bit of belief you have to Jesus, to allow him to work on the rest, I'm gonna invite you to pray this prayer in the privacy of your heart. Pray to your God. Forgive me. Forgive me for my sin, my choice to reject you. Forgive me for my unbelief. I believe, Jesus, that you are the Son of God, that you died for my sin, and that you rose again. You defeated death. And so, Lord, I surrender my life to you. I surrender my belief and my unbelief to you today. In the best way I know how, all the days of my life, I choose to follow you. With eyes closed and heads bowed in a moment, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, or you're surrendering a new area of your life over to Jesus, in a moment, I'm gonna count to three and invite you to stand to your feet. Wherever you're at, whatever campus you're at, the pastor is gonna pray for you and with you. And after I invite you to stand, I'm gonna have you come forward. I'm going to celebrate. We're all going to celebrate. I want to pray with you. And then we're going to, as a family, celebrate communion together. And so if you pray that prayer in a moment, I want you to respond just like the father did. He didn't hesitate. He didn't wait. It says immediately he responded. It's important that we live out our faith publicly. So if you pray that prayer in a moment, I'm going to count to three. I'm going to invite you to stand right where you're at. One, God loves you. Two, your life will never be the same. Three, stand to your feet. God bless you. We see you. God bless you.